Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Following up from our previous study in the book of 1 Samuel, Pastor Joel is now starting a new study in the book of 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 1 this week with a message entitled, Your Kingdom Come, How the Mighty Have Fallen. Today we get to start a whole new series again, which I'm very excited about. We're going to be studying the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, but if you saw in the update or, or know, Samuel is actually just one book. So we're starting a new series in 2 Samuel, but uh, Samuel was, was just one book with one story, and it was because of scroll length that they had to divide uh, the story of Samuel, but, but they did it in a very intentional way. They, 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 they divided the book of Samuel in, in a point that really is a transition point. And so we'll see that um, today as well. Over the winter and the spring, we've watched um, really the monarchy arise in Israel as they uh, demanded a king like all the other nations around them. And, and they chose and took this guy head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, his name was Saul. Uh, boy, he was strong and, and just looked the part, but actually he didn't walk with the Lord. So for most of the winter and spring, we've been tracing as Saul, who has walked away from the Lord time and time again. Uh, and, and then on the other hand, we, we see this young shepherd boy named David, uh, who is anointed king, who is rising up that Saul is jealous and wants to end up, he wants to kill him and, he, and he's just makes it his life just horrible. So we've seen years of David living uh, under the reign of Saul as an anointed king. He was going to be king, but uh, we see this relationship is really what we've been, we've been going through. Uh, but now today we get to uh, second, second Samuel. Um, I'd like to begin this morning by reading just the first 16 verses. So if you have your Bibles, and I would encourage you uh, to open them up, even if it's on your, on your phone, we'll read the first 16 verses of 2 Samuel 1. 2 Samuel 1. It says, After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, now the Amalekites are going to be important, so just file that away. Uh, David had just struck down the, um, the Amalekites, this horrible, evil group of people. Uh, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, tell me, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Verse 5. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, Well, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked up behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered him, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. 
And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fastened until e- and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where did you come from? And he answered him, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it that you are not afra- you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his young men and said, Go, execute him. And he struck him down so, he, so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head. For your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Let's stop right there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's, let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, written so long ago, but applicable to us today, Lord, we ask that you send your spirit to quicken our hearts, to make us alive, that we can be hearing and seeing and understanding your, your words, that you would speak to each one of us today, that we would be able to... Uh, evaluate the hurts and the pains in our our life, and we would be able to bring them to you. And so I pray in these next just few moments as we meditate and contemplate on your word that you would open our eyes, let us see, open our ears, let us hear, and soften our hearts so that we would understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the point in the story, it feels like we're finally getting there. The bad guy is out of the story. Uh, Saul's finally done, and David can sit on the throne and reign in righteousness and, and justice. Now, uh, as we get to this point in the story, we don't, we don't have time today to go back through all of 1 Samuel to see all the ways in which Saul just abused and manipulated and tortured David. I mean, there was a horrible relationship. But it appears here, even in these first few verses, that David is not defined by that hurt. He's not shaped by the pain that Saul has caused him, like so many of us are. It seems to be there was a way that David could release the hurt that so often defines people. But before we jump into the story, uh, I want to share with you a defining experience uh, I, I had Uh, We were missionaries in Slovenia for seven years. For five of those years, we actually got to help church plant in a place called Kran, uh, which is just above the capital of Ljubljana. It's an alpine uh, village. Uh, We helped church plant there with this other young uh, couple. Uh, He was Slovene and she was Croatian. Uh, It was a a great experience. Uh, Lots of possibilities uh, to plant a church in in a place that hadn't seen an evangelical church since 1615. So nearly 400 years of no evangelical church, and we got to be a part of that. Possibilities were great, but just like everything else, uh, there was uh, some experiences and some stories that had gone on before that impacted our relationship and even what happened there. There, there was a pain uh, that was shaping their relationship and our relationship as well. See, uh, during that time, so this, is, this was about 12 years ago, during that time, uh, there were two denominations in Slovenia. So not a very Christian nation. Uh, they had 
Baptists and Pentecostals. Those were the two denominations. They had about 200 Baptists. Uh, so we would be like half the Baptist church in all of Slovenia right here. And they had 800 uh, Pentecostals. Um, just the two uh, denominations. Now, the largest denomination, the Pentecostals, they had this president or this leader of the Pentecostal denomination who was actually a very abusive and manipulative man. Uh, I mean, he just left a wake of pain and hurt all behind him. Uh, the, the Christians in Slovenia, they recognized that and, and began uh, to kind of come around and say, we need, we need to ask the Lord to remove this man from leadership so that the church can continue to grow and heal in that. So there was like a, this concerted effort to, to pray that the Lord would remove the man who was leading the Pentecostal uh, union over there. Uh, and so our, our church was part of the Pentecostal uh, church, so we began uh, praying as well. Well, it was only like a week uh, a week later that we learned that this man who was leading the, the union went home uh, and just fell dead on his doorstep. Uh, it, it was a shock to, to everyone who was praying and also feeling like, whoa, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, the couple that we had worked with uh, in Kran to help church plant, they were actually part of this man's church in Ljubljana as well, the capital. And so when they came to Kran, they were looking for a fresh start because of the abuse and hurt that this man uh, had caused. And so when his death came about, after, after all these people uh, praying that he would be removed from leadership, uh, when his, his death came about, we, we talked to them about it. Well, how are you, how are you feeling about that? And, and I remember having that conversation, and I remember even the words that the wife told me. She was so hurt by him and so much pain that, that she said, I'm glad he's dead. I will never forgive that man. I will never forgive that man. Like cold nails in a coffin. I mean, even though he was dead, uh, the hurt that he had caused her still defined her life, and she was going to carry that on. It, it was like even though he was gone, she was still going to be held captive by his influence. I picture it like uh, he handed her this bag of garbage, of his garbage, and said, here, carry this. And she was unable to put it down or, or get rid of it or be freed. And I just remember thinking, boy, that, how, what a sad, a sad thing. Now, some of you may have gone through just abusive experiences that, that have just really shaped you or hardened you, and, and you understand that pain. But, but I know all of us have touched in some ways the hurt that other people have, have caused us. There are ways we've all had pain either in relationship or from people in authority or even the church itself. Maybe a comment from a, a parent that you can still hear echoing in your head. You're really not that good at that. Why can't you be better? the hurting words from a, a spouse or a good friend, maybe that betrayed you. And so you've promised yourself, I will never put myself in that situation again. It's like someone has handed you a, a bag of their garbage and has left you holding it. Now what do you do with it? Can you ever let go of it? Is it to define you and who you are? Where can we find freedom? How can we lay the garbage and the hurt and the pain of others down so that it doesn't define or shape us? Where do we go from here? Well, this brings us back to our text today. Uh, we begin 2 Samuel, 
this new book, right in the midway point of the story, though, with these five words. After the death of Saul. After the death of Saul. Saul's death, he marks this transition in the story. David will finally be able to sit on the throne and rule. But before we get there, we first must consider how David's going to respond to the news of Saul's death. Will he be happy? Will he be sad? Will he be relieved? Will he throw a party? Will he sing a song? Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked old witch, the wicked old witch. Oh, Mario, the witch is dead. Sing it high, sing it low. Is he going to be happy that he's gone? Well, we're going to see that David doesn't do any of those. In fact, uh, David is really freed from any of that bitterness or hurt. He's not defined by any of that. So how does he, how does he get there? We plop down in the middle of the, the story of Samuel. And so as we come to even this first little bit about the Amalekites, it would be helpful to have a story in the back of our mind, like we had just read 1 Samuel all the way through. But I just want to pull out one story that's really uh, important for us. It's in 1 Samuel 15. First uh, Samuel 15. Even if you flip back there, you'll, you'll see uh, that's the story when God tells Saul, who is king, I want you to take care of the Amalekites. These wicked people, he's... God has waited patiently long enough with their evil and says, I'm finished. Saul, I want you to go. I want you to take an army and I want you to get rid of them. Now, these Amalekites, uh, we, we don't really have a visceral response to that. We think Amalekites and uh, it doesn't really mean anything. But picture uh, like the worst tribe that you can think of in the Middle East right now. Like some little splinter cell of ISIS that is absolutely evil and killing people and taking women and abusing them. Take the worst tribe you can think of and now give them all energy drinks. And that's the Amalekites. These are pure, evil people. And God says, I'm done. My patience is over. Saul, I want to use you and the army to get rid of the Amalekites. And, and so sure enough, Saul takes the army, has great success. They beat the Amalekites. But then as they come back, Saul goes, boy, there's some really good stuff in here, though. He ends up taking the king, Agag, and says, ah, I'm going to bring him back, too, kind of like as a trophy. Uh, I'm going to take the best sheep, the best cattle, uh, the best of everything that they have and, and bring it all back. What God has said is evil and wrong. Saul goes, eh, this could be good. I'm going to take this. And the Amalekites, because Saul didn't get rid of them, keep popping up in our story over and over. He didn't, he didn't wipe them out. And Saul's disobedience actually led to the Lord saying, I'm going to take the, the kingdom away from you. Because you didn't obey and get rid of the Amalekites, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. But in our story today, in 2 Samuel, we'll see that where Saul failed, David is going to make right. Uh, see, if we went back just a, a page in Samuel, we would see that there's two battles going on uh, right before we get to 2 Samuel 1. Uh, Saul, he's fighting the Philistines, and, and he ends up losing a horrible battle. But at the same time, David is fighting the Amalekites. So while Saul is fighting the Philistines, David is fighting the Amalekites. Now, uh, Saul, uh, or David wins, he beats the Amalekites, and he plunders all of them. He plunders uh, all the Amalekites. And when Saul ends up losing to the Philistines, we find out that there's an Amalekite that plunders Saul. So first get the irony here, right? So as David plunders the Amalekites, an Amalekite is plundering 
Saul. Because of the disobedience that Saul had long time ago, he's, he's reaping the, the results of that. So after Saul and Jonathan, they end up uh, losing this battle. They're getting hit by arrows and, and, and dying uh, in a war. Uh, we get this, this story um, of them, uh, them passing in 1 Samuel 31, but we actually get a different story here in 2 Samuel 1, which I just think it's, you can't trust an Amalekite. So the Amalekite story in 2 Samuel 1, uh, I think it's all a spin that he's trying to do to get something. Because here, here's, here's what happens. Saul and Jonathan, uh, they're fallen slain on, the, uh, on this mountain. And then there's this, this Amalekite who happens to come by. Uh, and, he, and he happens to come by and he says, oh, and he spins this story that uh, Saul was there and he asked me to, to slay him. And so I went ahead and did. But, but that's not really what, what happens in the story at all. I'm pr- pretty convinced that the story that David, uh, that he told David and Saul that about how Saul had asked him to finish him, it was all a lie that the Amalekite was trying to manipulate David into, into thinking, oh, see, I'm on your side. You, uh, we're, we're buddies. You, you should promote me in your, in your army. But the Amalekite, he can't be trusted. And he actually offers David a very similar thing to what Saul had been offered. Hey, look, I got the crown. I got the armlet. I got the very best of the land. Are you going to take it? And are you going to save me in that? Would you promote me in that? And David says, no, I'll have nothing to do with it. I'm not an opportunist. Even though you're offering me the best of the land and you think you've done right, you've done exactly the opposite. You've killed the anointed of the Lord. So I think when we understand the backstory of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, when we read 2 Samuel 1 and we hear about this guy who just happened to be on a field and just happened to do all this stuff and, and David ends up slaying him, it's not some innocent guy who is just like, oh, I was just trying to do the right thing. This is a, this is a man who is evil. And, and it was offered to David, this gold and shiny, you could have it, David, you can have it all. And David says, no, I I want to obey the Lord first before anything. It's the story of David obeying the Lord where Saul failed. Now, if we had time, we could look at the first 16 verses, and and it won't jump off the page in English right away, but there's a structure there that's just intelligent writing. Uh, it's something called a chiasm, where there's a first line and then the last line, and then it builds, and it's like a, like a, almost like a, a pyramid where there's a point at top. And so if you traced the lines through, you would see how they uh, offset, offset, until there's one point in the middle. So there is one point in the first 16 verses. There is one thing they want you to understand and get uh, if you were soaking this in, and that is verse 12. It's not about the death of Saul. It's actually about how David responded to the death of Saul. That's, that's the point where we should be looking at. Verse 12 says, And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Now, it's probably unlikely that that Amalekite, because if you go on reading, it says that the uh, then they asked the Amalekite, like, uh, who was it and where are you from? It's unlikely that they fasted and mourned while the Amalekite just stood there until evening. 
more than likely they've shaped this in such a way as to point out and to get us to stop and meditate on how is it that David, who has been running, who has been hurt, who has been pained, who has been abused, who has been put down by this guy for years, can actually let go of that and, and mourn him in honesty? How, how, can he, how can he do that? Shouldn't he be happy that Saul's gone? Why would he mourn in honesty? What's it even look like at this point to mourn? And that's where we get the next part of chapter 1, in verses 17 through 27. Uh, if you can look in your Bible, 17 through 27, you'll see uh, your, it's probably indented or uh, formatted a little bit differently in your Bibles, is it? Do you see it? Uh, it's it's a, a prayer, a song, a poem uh, are all indented a little differently uh, in our Bibles, and that's to help us see. Uh, something else is, is going on here, something a little a little bit different. Uh, in the book of Samuel itself, if you go to the very uh, first chapters, you'll see a long prayer, and it's indented, all different. And that's the prayer of, of Hannah the, as she's praying for uh, a son uh, to come. And if you go all the way to the end of the book of Samuel, if you look back there in chapters 23, 22 and 23, it, it's bookend by another long song of David and then an oracle. And those are formatted different. It's, it's like bookends for the book of uh, Samuel. But right in the middle, and I think this is why they divided it here, right in the middle there's another long uh, indented, formatted differently poem that's stuck right in the, right in the middle. Now, here, here's a little uh, a side note. If you want to, Old Testament's hard to understand sometimes. But if you want to know the theology, the, the point of any Old Testament book, all you need to do is go through and read all the things that are formatted differently. The poems, the prayers, uh, the songs. Because it's in those places that it's compacting all this theology and saying, here's the point of what I really want you to, to get. It's really easy to recognize and it takes a long time to explore. They're easy to see, these poems and prayers, but it actually will take you a lifetime as you go over and meditate and chew on and just think about and just, just ruminate on these songs and prayers because there's so much going on there. There's a, a guy named Alistair Begg. He's a great preacher. He's a Scottish guy. He's actually in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and he says this about prayers and songs in the Old Testament. Any of those uh, differently formatted um, parts of your Old Testament. He said, uh, in his Scottish accent, he said, Poems are a history tilt that are much better felt. Poems are a history tilt that are much better felt. You get it. The poems, they're, they're telling a part of history, but what it's in doing is in invoking your emotions, and it's getting you to stop and slow down and chew over these things. We're only going to just scratch the surface of this today, but I would encourage you to go over this song, the song of lament, over and over and over again. And I just want to make a few remarks, and then we'll have Mark come back up and end with some songs. Look in verse 17. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it's even written down in the book of Jeshur. He said, your glory 
your beauty, your honor, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. This is a, a, a deep, rich song that David wants you to know. It's written down. He wants you to, to sing it and know it. I want to point out two things about this song today. One, the direction of the sorrow. As he hears the news of Saul's death, there's a direction of the sorrow. And the second thing will be a welcome invitation. This is a song, is an invitation uh, to not just the people of Israel, but to us as well and how to live the best life. First, let's look at the direction of sorrow. What allows David to not be defined by the hurt and the pain that he has walked through? I mean, was he, was he just a better person than all of us? Because we all seem to be defined by our hurt and the things that we walk through. But I think we'll find the answer in this lament if we stop and slow down and consider a few things. David can be freed from being defined by his hurt and pain. And here's, the, here's really the summary. Because of hearing the news... On the third day of the sacrifice of the son of the king. He's able to release the hurt and pain because he hears the news. It's on the third day that there has been a sacrifice on a mountain of the son of the king. The sacrifice, the death of Jonathan, allows... David to grieve Saul as well, to go beyond his pain and hurt and see whatever good that there might be there. Let me, let me point this, let me show you a, a few of these things. Look in verse 19. This is how the, the song of the lament begins. Your glory, and for you Hebrew geeks, this isn't the, the weighty glory, this is actually the honor, the beauty, the glory, the, the thing that you like value your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. It's left wondering what glory, what beauty, what honor is being slain on 
the high place. Now look in verse 25. I'm convinced this is actually the end of the song, but the song has like an appendix that goes on after this. But, but this is a, the inclusio. These are the bookmarks for the, uh, for the song. In verse 25, it says, How the mighty have fallen. We've seen that line before. In the midst of the battle. And look here. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. It begins, your glory, O Israel, is slain on high places. And later on it explains, Jonathan is slain on your high places. The glory that is slain on the high places in verse 19 is later told to us to be Jonathan in verse 25. The glory or the beauty of Israel is the slain son of the king. Uh, Not only that, these high places, these mountains, they were associated with with worship and sacrifice, uh, most often with like uh, not God-honoring ways, but they're places of sacrifice and and worship. And even this lament, it speaks about the death of Jonathan in terms of a sacrifice. Look in verse 22. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty... What an odd way to say that. From the, the blood of the slain, the fat of the mighty. You know that word fat is only associated with sacrificial terms everywhere else in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's repeated. This, this word fat is actually repeated 48 times in the book of Leviticus. That's where, it's, that's where it finds its home and its understanding and its meaning. And it's connected with the, the sacrifice. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty. It, this is sacrificial language. It says, The bow of Jonathan turned not back, the sword of Saul returned not empty. And, and he does something really interesting here too. He actually puts the king's name second, Saul second. He puts the, the son in the first place. For the bow of Jonathan Turn not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. He places the son's name before Saul's name, and he wants this to stand out. And I think as we stop and we, we see the, the feeling of this poem, it, it's like the death of the son of the king has actually redeemed even the most vilest man. He, he's redeemed the death of Saul. He goes on to say in verse 23, It gives us this image of how this relationship works out. He says, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. If we go back to 1 Samuel, we see that that Jonathan is often described as swift, as strong, as, as brave, but Saul not so much, just tall. But in life and in death, these two were not divided, so that what can be said of the son can be said of Saul. In the sacrifice of Jonathan, the son of the king, it almost seems like the death of Saul is somehow uh, redeemed. How can David get past years of abuse and manipulation on the part of Saul? Because he honors him for the sacrifice made on his behalf. He doesn't honor Saul for who he was. He, he honors Saul because of the sacrifice that Jonathan, the son, made on his behalf. So how can we get past the hurt and the pain others have caused you? 
whatever pain that is, whatever hurt in you that someone has caused, how do we, how do we get past that? And, and I'm just tell you, you're not strong enough. It defines every one of us. You, you are not, uh, there's no self-help program that's going to allow you to get over that. There, there's, there's nothing that's going to help you get over that. We are humans and we are defined by our hurt. Your pain will overcome you and define you if you don't do this one thing. Take that pain to Jesus, the son who sacrificed his life on a mountain for you. I think that's how, that's how David was allowed to mourn and lament the death of Saul, this guy who abused and manipulated him over and over again. He saw the death of Saul in light of the sacrifice of the son. We've seen the direction of sorrow, and now I just want to end here with the, this welcome invitation. And as you're reading along in any story, uh, just like a, a story, a narrative that you're reading like in Samuel, and you, and you come along to uh, those, those places that are indented and, and formatted differently, a, a prayer, a poem, a, a song, you're not supposed to read those just as you do the rest of the story. You're supposed, you're supposed to stop. You're supposed to slow down. You're supposed to change even your cadence as you're reading these things, to consider these words. Uh, songs, and this is we all know this, songs are meant to be sung over and over and over and over again. That's why we, that's why we listen to the radio and they play like the same songs over and over. Well, then you eventually turn them. But we're meant to, to have songs repeated in our head. That's why when you're younger, we had these CDs and we just put it on repeat, Right? We, we listen to the songs over and over again. You can maybe hear a story two or three times, and then after that, you're pretty much good, and it'll kind of bore you. But, but songs are meant to be heard over and over again. Songs are meant to be sung and resung. Well, David, the very first thing, before we get to this song of lament, he, he instructs him, hey, teach everybody this song. Write it down so that generations to come can meditate and sing the song over and over again. David instructs them to write it down, invites Israel to join in the song. And I think to join in is to help us to navigate these feelings of grief and lament. But not just Israel, us as well. And I think one of the things it tells us is that dealing with grief and pain and hurt is not a one-time, once-and-done thing. It's not, oh, yeah, now I'm just totally freed and I don't care what my parents uh, said about me for a long time ago. This, this is something that is going to have to be repeated over and over and over again. The hurt and the pain that wants to define you, if you want to be released of that, see, freedom, you need to bring it to the Lord over and over again. Because if you don't, it, it will shape you. It will define you. There's only one person that, that's not defined by hurt and pain, and that's Jesus. In Psalm 15, uh, it's a psalm of David, and he says this, uh, speaking of Jesus who is coming, he, he says, He will swear to his own hurt, and he does not change. He will be hurt and have the pain, everything, and yet it doesn't shape who he is. He is who 
is. It's like if somebody gives you a bag of trash and you take that bag of trash, that hurt, that pain, and you walk around the rest of your life and say, I can't get rid of this. They gave this to me. And even if they, uh, they pass away or die or they're not in your life anymore or you've even set up healthy boundaries and you're still carrying that bag of trash because somebody else has hurt you or pained you and you're like, how do I get rid of this? And the answer is to take it to the cross. It's only through Jesus who nails it on the cross that you can finally be freed of that pain. And I, I think you have to do this again and again and again. And as you sing this song of Jesus' love, and you give the hurts over to Jesus again and again, your, your heart will begin to be changed as well. will begin to allow you to be free, and you'll begin to be defined by the love of God, not the hurt of others. And that's, that's really, I think, the story that we're seeing in, in 2 Samuel 1. How David could be so hurt and abused by someone and at the end go, God bless him. He did a few good things. And more than that, we have a sacrifice of a son on his behalf. What a picture it is of us and Jesus. I just want to pray uh, for all of us. I, I know we all deal with pain and hurt from people. And, and my guess is that most of us uh, have that like metaphorical bag of trash that someone has given us. And, and we're hanging on to that. And some of it's a safety blanket. We, we don't want to let go. But Lord, even if we do, we're not quite sure how to let go of it. And so Lord, I pray this morning as we even sing these next few songs, uh, that in our hearts we would give that hurt and that pain to you. Lord, because as a substitute on our behalf, Lord, you took all of our illnesses, our hurt, our brokenness, our pain, and you nailed it to the cross so that we can be whole and free and forgiven. So, Lord, would we sing your love, the song of Jesus, over and over and over again, every morning and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.